a word from the Chap Chat sponsors, groundwire.net. Do you have questions about faith? Are you going through a crisis in your life that needs answers? Go to groundwire.net and click chat now. A coach is waiting to hear from you. Do you have a passion for sharing your faith and helping others in need? Groundwire.net needs people just like you. Go to groundwire.net and click get involved. To find out more, go to groundwire.net. HLERadio.com, the Christian country music capital of the world. 69 million listeners in 180 countries around the world. Download the HLE Radio app and listen on any mobile device. Go to hleradio.com and click donate to join them in their mission of sharing Jesus with the world. That's hleradio.com. Thebabylonbee.com. The Babylon Bee is a news satire website from a Christian perspective. The Babylon Bee publishes articles on religion, politics, and current events, and well-known public figures. With intentional irony, the Babylon Bee is the world's best satire site. The Babylon Bee, fake news you can trust. That's thebabylonbee.com. One sat alone beside the highway, begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. When Jesus comes, The old tempter's power is broken When Jesus comes All the tears are dried away For he takes the gloom And fills the light with glory For all is changed When Jesus comes to stay Welcome to 100 Years Ago on the Chap Chat Podcast. That song, literally, (laughs) that wasn't 100 years ago, but it was, it may as well have been. Seems like in the history of our country. If you've never heard that, to me, to me, that takes me back to when I was very young. I was probably 10 when that was on the radio. And that pastor that was singing that was Lester Roloff, an amazing man of God. Probably the closest thing I've seen to, I don't know, Elijah, (laughs) something to that effect, because he saw the angels that were encamped around and no one had to pray for them to uh, be you know, made known or, you know, roll back the, the clouds or anything like that so he can see them. He, he saw them. So I'm taking a, a trip on this podcast back in time. I've been doing some reflecting. In fact, that's the whole reason this podcast came about was reflecting, praying, 
listening, asking God what he wanted me to hear. And it took me back. The events of COVID-19 took me back to a time in my childhood when that was on the radio, that song. I, I, I listened to, to three things on the radio back then. I listened to Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. I listened to Unshackled. That was on every Sunday at 3.30. <laughs> and I knew I had to be by the radio at 3.30 and that organ music would come out. And they tell, and they still do, as far as I know, it's a, it's a live enactment radio show. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of, uh, like 25,000 or more shows that are about real people's lives and they're acted out. And it tells the story of their life before they knew Jesus and how they came to meet him and how he changed them. So that was one of my favorite things to listen to. This was the third. It was Lester Roloff's radio show. And I didn't uh, have a radio station that would carry it where I was at, so I didn't get to hear it except on tape. Yes, tape. That, that, tell, that takes you way back. Now, it was an eight-track. So, you know, you're going to see what generation I'm in there, but uh, that, uh, that's what I listened to it on was tape. And I heard that music come out before he would preach. And to me, he was a real live hero. I grew up a lot different than most folks do. I'm a preacher's kid and grew up in a very strict home, a lot of rules, not all necessarily based on the Bible necessarily, but uh, I would say they, they had it a lot more right than most folks nowadays, looking back. So Lester Roloff, he was born in 1914, and that takes us back 100 years. That's why I said welcome to 100 years ago at the beginning of the show. Uh, he's, he's got an amazing story, but became a Christian, grew up in a very poor home, was called to preach and decided he wanted to go to Bible school, but he was poor and he could not afford it. So he went to Bible school and took a cow with him and he would milk the cow for food. So he would survive on the cow milk and then he would sell the cow milk that he did not consume to other folks and make enough money to survive. And that's how he got through Bible school. Probably couldn't get away with that nowadays. But man, doesn't that sound simple. But that's how he was. He was a very simple man and trusted simply in an almighty God. And that's what inspired people around the United States. He, was, he would fly uh, in a little twin-engine plane and fly all over everywhere. In fact, that's how he died, was in a plane crash. In... 1980 to 1984, this is my personal side of the story, my, there were no such thing as Christian schools back then. Uh, they were just starting. We'd already lost prayer in public school. We were no longer saying the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. God had not been completely banned at that time, but it was, it was there, you know, slowly pushing one little bubble at a time trying to 
boil the frog. And, well, now I'm going to have to tell the boil the frog story. <laughs> so how do you boil a frog? Uh, you put him in a pot, but you cannot put him in a pot of cold water. You have to put him in, I mean, a hot water. You got to put him in a pot of cold water. If you put a frog in a pot of hot water, he's going to jump right out because he's not stupid. He is a frog. <laughs> but if you put a frog in a pot of cold water, he's comfortable and he's going to stay right there. He ain't going to move. In fact, you can put another frog in with him. You can put a whole bunch of frogs in a pot of cold water and they'll sit right there. You can even turn the heat on and they'll sit right there. And the pot of cold water will turn to lukewarm water. But the frogs won't jump out. They just get a little uncomfortable. And the heat rises and the heat rises and the heat rises. Then, as it gets closer to a boil, get a little bubble come up and tap one of the frogs. And his little foot will quiver a little bit and he'll kind of, ooh, and he'll move out of the way and, oh, oh, oh that, that, that made me feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but he won't jump. He'll sit right there, comfortable for the most part. Doesn't like what's going on around him. Thinks it ain't right. Think somebody should do something about it. But he's pretty comfortable. Then a bigger bubble comes and hits one of the other frogs. And oh, 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 oh my goodness, that ain't right. Look at that. He got a big bubble hit him. He ain't comfortable at all. Man, we should say something about this. But they won't jump. No, sir. They sure won't jump. They'll sit right there, all of them. And they'll get hit with a bubble and get hit with another bubble. And they'll get hit with another bubble. And, oh, my goodness, what is this world coming to? What are we going to do? We're getting hit with all these bubbles, and this just ain't right. And they're taking our liberty. And, and oh, my goodness, uh, 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 doesn't the Bible say something about this? We should say, what, what, uh, I have to go back and look because I can't remember because it's been so long since I've read it. I have to put the, dust, put the dust off the cover of the Bible. But we're a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, we just want to say something about this. But they won't jump. They'll sit right there. They won't jump until... Until the water boils. When that water breaks into a boil, every one of those frogs will try to jump, but they can't. Why? Because the comfortable hot water has sapped the strength out of their legs and they can't jump. And that, my friends, is how you have frog legs for Easter Sunday lunch. Yes, sir. 
That's what happened this last Easter, in my opinion. But you know what? There were some churches, you know, there were some churches in the United States that actually had church. <gasps> what? They got froggy. <laughs> and they jumped. Of course, I couldn't find them. I didn't know about it because I was one of those frogs in the warm water saying this ain't right. <laughs> uh, but I was bothered. I was bothered. I got hit by a bubble before Easter Sunday. And I thought, hmm, this ain't right. And what was happening during COVID-19 with the church is not essential and pastors getting arrested in the uh, out of the pulpit in Florida and and uh, the Gestapo-like tactics happening in Mississippi to King James Bible Baptist Church, that, that kind of woke me up. That, that, that hit me with a pretty big bubble. I, uh, I was really uh, awake or awakened, I should say. But those memories took me back. Not quite a hundred years, but took me back about 35, 40 years to a time where that song was playing on the radio when Jesus came and being preached like the guy actually knew Jesus on a first name basis and he did so back I got on a rabbit trail there but I <laughs> so back uh, in 1984 there was no such thing as a Christian school or a private school unless it was a very high-class private school. But it wasn't a Christian private school. It was like a very wealthy school, that kind of a private school. But there wasn't for, for middle-class America who wanted to teach their children a Christian worldview. There was no outlet. There was no such thing as a Christian school or a private school or a charter school or anything like that. So what was really being pushed at the time was evolution as fact, not theory as in how it came into, into play by Darwin who denounced his own theory before he died. But Hey, when you don't want to believe creation, you'll, You'll take something that takes a whole lot more faith than creation that's ridiculous and you'll push it as fact. Almost like fake news. Did I say that? <laughs> yes, I did say that. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, so that's what was being pushed hard and heavy and my dad decided you know what i have a obligation to my family to say for as for me and my house we will serve the lord and i'm not gonna allow my children to be taught by the government that evolution is fact and void of a creator the king of the universe almighty god he said i'm not gonna allow that so he said, I'm going to start a school 
in the church. You know, back where schools used to be back in the 18 and early 1900s, where the church house and the schoolhouse were the same thing. Well, our school board and education system took that as a challenge. There wasn't a law against having a private Christian school, but there were some technicalities. So they took everyone they possibly could. Truancy. You guys aren't going to school, so guess what? That's a an offense. Even though we were going to school, and it was a lot harder than the school that uh, I would have gone to. And you know what? When 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 my dad said he was going to do that, and he did that when I was real young. So I went to kindergarten in this school. In fact, I was too young to go to kindergarten. And my mom was a kindergarten teacher. So I got to go to kindergarten twice. <laughs> yep, that's why I'm so smart now. <laughs> uh, yep, kindergarten twice. Took me that long to figure out how to cut a straight line. But <laughs> I digress. So... <laughs> uh. So I didn't really remember anything but that. But see, the school had been going on for a while before 1984. But it got kind of big. I don't know how many we had. Somewhere in between the neighborhood of 25 and 35, 40 students maybe, max. And that started putting a dent in the public school number. Because that wasn't a real big town. 17,000 people or something like that at the time. Well, when I when I graduated at 89, it had 17,000 people. So I'm guessing it was maybe 15,000 back in the 80s, early 80s, something like that. But anyway, so truancy and let's see, what was the other chart? Oh, child abuse <gasps> my parents were abusing us because we were not getting an education <laughs> untrue we were all tested during the court case every single student even me kindergarten twice boy mm-hmm every single student tested above public school average so much for child abuse, but we had to go prove it anyway. So we went down to the state capitol in Bismarck, North Dakota, took the test, and what do you know? We ain't stupid. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. But at the time, I was thinking, man. Because we had these these uniforms. We were ACE school, Accelerated Christian Education. So guess what? <laughs> guess what we had to wear? We had to wear black shoes that you could shine, not tennis shoes now. Not, that wasn't until high school. We got away with that. At the time of the court case, we had to wear black shiny shoes that we shined and put a polish on. Blue 
corduroys. Yep, I said it. Corduroys. <laughs> Blue corduroys. Black belt. Red or white shirt. And a red, white, and blue. I kind of like the tie. The red, white, and blue tie. Mm. 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 Let me tell you something. You go walking down the mall in that, and you uh, do not blend. <laughs> and we had a lot of uh, media attention on this in this little town. A lot of actually got a lot of uh, local support. And so media was everywhere always for four years, and man, I hated it. I mean, if we went to the mall and somebody recognized us, within minutes, it seemed like a news person would show up and be sticking a camera and a microphone in our face and and uh, filming us, and uh, they'd show up to the school, and we had law enforcement show up at the school and serve a cease and desist order. Uh, which was not obeyed, by the way. And it was not fun. And I thought my dad was about as loony as a toonie on Saturday morning cartoonies. I thought he had lost his ever-loving noodle. And at that time in my life, I thought, Dear Lord, I mean, you know I love you, but... Ah. Uh, can't my dad just be normal for one day? Please let my dad be normal just for one day. Nah, he couldn't. He actually was a man of character. He had a backbone. Something severely missing in America nowadays. The backbone. I think we lost it with the Metro Preacher. But, ooh, I, I went south there, didn't I? I digressed a little bit. So, <clears throat> anyway, we were not getting an education. We were truant. And good Lord, we did not have a license. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The state wanted to license the church to have a school and teach students the church. The state wanted to license the church. My dad and many, many others. Now, this just wasn't my dad. This was a national-wide thing. There was many lawsuits happening at the time in the late 70s and early 80s. This was under attack. So, we reached out and we found a, a uh, lawyer that, by the name of David Gibbs. He had started Christian Law Association, still in business. They took our case for free because we were poor. I mean poor. Like rice with milk and uh, brown sugar for breakfast poor. I mean really uh, if it wasn't at the Salvation Army, we didn't buy it. That kind of poor, right? But we had a good education, so priorities were right somewhere. So those were the three charges. 
Christian Law Association would fly out from Cleveland, Ohio, four lawyers, all brilliant, all working for free because they loved America. They loved the liberty that we have. They didn't want to lose the liberty that we have that our forefathers paid for in blood. And they thought it was worth the fight. They flew out. They didn't, they didn't charge us to fly out. They didn't charge us to put them in a hotel. They actually stayed at our house, all four lawyers. They would sleep on our floor. They would sleep on our couch. Wherever they could crash after studying law books and praying and coming up with a strategy and waking up and praying some more and asking for God's guidance. These lawyers that were men of God came to defend us. But not all people had the same resources, lawyers. At the time, Christian Law Association had more cases than they could possibly take. They were extremely busy, wore out. I've never seen such tired on a man's face as some of those guys. Other pastors in you know the area in North Dakota and other states, one of our friends in a, a neighboring county, they were arrested for, for having a school in the church and they spent six months in jail. Husband and wife did six months in jail. And their kids were not allowed to stay with family or friends or anything like that. They had to go into the, you know what I'm talking about, foster care. That's what it is. And they were forced to live in foster care, even though they had family and friends and church family that would have taken them. The state forced them to stay in foster care the whole time their parents were in prison to ensure they went to school. So for four years, this went on, y'all. Four years. And it was tiring. We had uh, some amazing people on our team. One of them that I remember is uh, Ron Henderson and his wife and family. Some of them are still uh, friends of the family today. Ron, uh, at the time, was, I think, I think he came to Minot as a, either a captain or a major. And he left as a full bird colonel in the Air Force. Amazing guy. Had just a most genuine laugh. He was my teacher in youth, you could call it. We had a small church, but I remember when I got to go to his class for the first time when I was 12, because I was almost 13. <laughs> and what an amazing guy. Love God. He ended up becoming a general. And he is uh, passed on and is in, in heaven now. But uh, I just loved his laugh and his uh, the way he loved folks. 
his wife was uh, had a master's in education, and that helped our case. Um, long story short, uh, well, we we had a knock at the door one night, and law enforcement was at the door, and they had a subpoena for me and all my siblings, and we were subpoenaed to testify against our parents in court on the child abuse of not going to school. And our next court appearance, CPS, Child Protective Services, was sitting in the courtroom, and they had a whole lot of hate for us, just saying. Not all do, I'm not saying that, but they did. And they were seething. I remember looking at that lady and her being so angry. And she was just waiting for the judge to order us to be taken into protective custody because of our child abuse. And we were prepared when we walked into that courtroom. Our parents had prepared us to be taken. And possibly even have my parents arrested right there in in the courtroom. So we had prayed and we prepared and we stepped into the fire. Just like the three Hebrew children. And then all of a sudden there was four. (laughs) We stepped into the fire not knowing if we were going to be burned or not. But even if he doesn't, guess what? We're going in anyway. So our lawyer stood up and addressed the judge and told him what was happening and, you know, why, why they had a, this special hearing. And the judge, as I recall it, just about flipped his lid. His face became visibly beet red. And he balled up his fist. And I, if, I, man... That's probably the closest I've ever seen to a judge just swearing or something. I don't know what was going through his mind, but he was mad. And he said, it is very obvious to me that these children are not being abused and CPS is dismissed from my courtroom. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was a celebration. Oh my goodness, it was a celebration. I mean, we got to stay in our home with our parents. Now, necessarily, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't always so thankful about that. Uh, when we were getting our uh, uh, hide tanned, uh, we were not thankful about that. And uh, when uh, we had many of the restrictions, <laughs> That, uh, that, uh, how I was brought up, um, man, uh, we were not thankful then, but that day, boy, I tell you, we were so thankful to be able to go home with mom and dad and sleep in our own bed and be with our family. And that's what God did throughout the whole trial. He worked one miracle after another miracle after another miracle and after four years of court battle, we came down. We had proven that uh, we were getting an education. We were not truant. 
and it all came down to the license. And that was the one of the biggest sticking points. My dad and the church said that they would not accept a license from the state. And I think the the uh, the license was five bucks. I mean, that's back then. That's some some money. You know, maybe fifty bucks nowadays. But the judge, he was a good moral guy. Uh, he said, he said, do you all realize now that we got all this other stuff worked out, we, we have seen that you have, uh, provided an education and you're, you're living up to the spirit of the law. Do you know this whole thing would just go away if you would just accept a license or, or if you would just buy a license or I think he was put it like that. And... He had my dad stand up and address the court and say, will you buy a license? And my dad said, along with that license comes the control of what I can teach. You are licensing the church of the almighty God to allow us to operate and control what we teach. He said, in America, we have the liberty to operate in a church without government control. He said, the state cannot license the church of the Almighty God for any reason. And it was crickets in the courtroom. And then one guy spoke up. I think he was the public school principal. He was actually a good guy. And he said, Judge, he said, uh, I know they don't want to pay for it. He said, I'm just so tired of this. <laughs> he said, you know what? I'll pay half of it if somebody else pay half of it. And somebody else in the courtroom, I don't know who it was, piped up and said, oh my goodness, if you'll pay half, I'll pay half. And the judge looked at my dad, kind of bug-eyed, and said, okay, well, the church did not pay for the license. The church is not licensed, but they have a license. No strings attached. And he picked up the gavel and that was the end of the court case and we had freedom for the rest of that year and the next year we were supposed to get a new license which of course was not applied for and was not expected to be applied for and we had freedom until they ended up closing the school down I think 89 was the last year they had a school but they had one for about I don't know 20 years. So that's in my history. I lived that. And brother, I tell you, I was glad to get out of there, honestly. I didn't understand what they were fighting for. I thought it made a whole lot more sense to just go to public school and be done with it. I did respect those men that were our attorneys, and I did respect my father and my mother and 
the Hendersons and all the other people that were involved in that court case and all the other families. I respected their backbone. But I didn't understand. Because I, see, I, I hadn't made that faith my faith. That was my parents' faith. They had those beliefs. They had that backbone because they were standing on the truth. They were standing on God's word. I didn't find out where I was at spiritually until several years later after graduation. I was 19 and I had uh, I'd gone away and gone, a, gone about a year and a half of college and I'd quit going to church completely and there was, there was nothing in my life that looked Christian. I had taken the rules and equated that with God, rules only. And I had thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But I got to go up and see my niece. I joined the army, and I, I, I was in the delayed depth, delayed enlistment program, and I had a month to kill. So, perfect timing. My niece was born, so I made my way back from Florida up to North Dakota. Oh, by the way, there's sunshine in Florida. <laughs> I grew up in North Dakota, born and raised mine on North Dakota all the way until I was seventeen. Just turned 17. Graduated early. I think, I'm pretty sure if I recall, there's about nine months of winter up there. Something like that. But Florida, there's sunshine. <laughs> and uh, that's where I, I chose to go to college. And what do you know? They have 12 months of summer down there. <laughs> uh, but I made my way back up to North Dakota to see my niece, my very first niece, and... I went to church with my mom and you hang out with my family and you're going to church. That's just the way it is. And uh, I went to church and uh, what do you know? I still didn't agree with all the rules, but they had something I didn't have. I could tell some of those people in there they actually knew Jesus for real. I didn't want to admit that, of course. I was staying with my sister, and my mom had come over. They didn't live in, in Minot, and but they're in North Dakota. And uh, I was at my sister's house, and what do you know if my old Bible didn't show up just sitting on a counter in my sister's house? Now, isn't that a quanky dink? That was a quinky dink from my mom, I found out later. But she found out I was coming up there, and uh, she just brought my Bible and, you know, got my name on it. <laughs> just happened to leave it sitting out where I could stumble across it. My praying mother, just this past uh, Mother's Day. Hmm, she's amazing. But I didn't, I didn't mention it. I saw it sitting there and avoided it like it was a hot potato. Until everybody went to bed. 
And I was sleeping downstairs in the basement, and I was sitting there thinking and about that Bible upstairs and those people at the church that looked like they had Jesus in the back of their eyes. So I ran upstairs, and I grabbed my Bible, and I said, i got to figure out what this is about. And I started reading the New Testament and for about a week and a half. I pretty much stayed up all night and read the New Testament. August 24th, about 4.30 in the morning, I was reading in Ephesians. And I just stopped and said, I believe this. So I bowed my head and said, God, I don't know what all of this means. I just know you're real. I know that Jesus was real. I know he came to this earth and I know he shed his blood for me. God, I need you in my life. I said, if you will forgive me and help me understand you, that would be the happiest day of my life. Of course, I didn't know what I was praying, really. I just said, I believe. That's all Jesus said you have to do. Understanding God. <laughs> Many, many years later now, I'm still in that process. <laughs> Never will understand him. But God's Holy Spirit is living inside me. And he teaches me things that I could never learn on my own. So, fast forward to now. COVID-19. <laughs> world's gone crazy in the last 40 years and I'm a little apathetic I feel like I can't find a church I feel like I'm looking for Christians who actually want to be a Christian like not Sunday morning kind of Christian I show up at church on Sunday and I'm a Christian, or I'm a Christian on Easter and Christmas, a Christer Christian. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I, several years earlier, about 2016, 2017, I had had enough. I had done everything in the church. From the time I was young all the way until then, I had done everything in the church. Every service position from being a janitor to working in the nursery and wiping little kids' booties and changing diapers and leading music and singing and cleaning up upstairs in the auditorium and youth leader, uh, evangelist. I was a pastor for three years. I literally had done everything you could possibly do in the church, and I was still searching. I knew the Bible, knew it well, actually. Not maybe, I mean, as good as some folks, but I knew, it, I knew it a lot better than most, I think. You can normally say something, and I'll tell you pretty much where it's at and what the storyline is around it. And uh, If I can't tell you exactly the chapter it's in, I can generally tell you the book, which part of the book, 
I knew what I believed, my, my basic doctrines. I was being acquainted with the fact that the Holy Spirit was actually living inside me. And the fact that I could listen for that still small voice to guide me throughout the day and actually commune with him and talk with him and pray without ceasing and that he was actually a him. You know, third person in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But I couldn't find an axe kind of Christian, in my opinion. This was just my journey. I'm not busting on anybody else's journey. So I'm in a new town, new job. God's blessing me. But I couldn't find a church, really, to, you know, in this big town that I'm in, I I couldn't find a church to connect with that I felt was what I was looking for. Again, not judging, just discerning, listening to the Holy Spirit, going off of what I had learned, my journey. But because I couldn't find that, instead of following on what the Holy Spirit had already told me. And I just kind of became apathetic a little bit, a lot of it. And didn't do a whole lot. Became a chaplain, was serving in a couple different areas. But really, when it came right down to it, not doing a whole lot comfortably numb not promoting any songs or anything like that but that's about where I was at I was just comfortably numb until COVID-19 and I had time to be still with the Lord and think And I was not comfortable. I knew God had more. I knew there was more. And I wasn't listening. So Easter Sunday morning, when Trump announced that, uh, you know, just Prior to that, it sure would be nice if we could, you know, be back in church April, you know, 15th, I think it was, for for uh, Easter Sunday. And then that didn't happen. That's when I got hit by the bubble. And I was a little uncomfortable. And I saw other people... The pastor in Florida that got arrested, he got hit by a pretty big bubble because he stepped into the fire when most of America didn't even know it's burning. That was alarming to me. And then I know a, a man that's a fantastic Christian man that's in the politics in Florida. His name's Mike Hill. He posted a video of a pastor, YouTube video of a pastor 
where they were trying to do an outdoor service in their car, windows rolled up, six feet apart, doing all the CDC guidelines, which aren't necessary either, by the way, when it's a church. And about 20 cops showed up. Literally, that's not uh, exaggeration. You can go back and look at the video. And the police showed up and said that his rights had been suspended. And each person that was there was receiving a $500 citation. My bubble hit me. And it took me right back to when I was 10, 1984, in the courtroom. When the judge said, you know all this would just go away if you just accept a license. And I saw the shock and awe and the sound in that pastor's voice at the time. I don't think that he was prepared for the response. Good Christian guy saying, hey, you know what? We're just going to have a, have a church service and follow CDC guidelines just like every other place in town. And every cop on duty showed up there. And by the way, I'm 20 years prior to law enforcement, so I'm not busting on cops. But I do think, and cops, listen up. Law enforcement, listen up. If you're given an order, if you're given an order that violates our Constitution, you have a moral obligation to disobey that order. Go back and look at your oath. It's very similar to a military oath that I took. Go back and look at your oath. You're to obey all commands except you have a moral obligation to uphold the Constitution and not violate the rights of the citizens that you are protecting. So if it costs you your job because you're upholding a city ordinance or a county ordinance that is violating the Constitution, I guarantee you there are other counties and there are other cities who are not violating the rights of their citizens who will gladly take someone of that moral character on to their department. Commercial over. So, I saw that happening in Mississippi. I think it's Greenville, Mississippi. King James Bible Baptist Church. Pastor Hamilton. Been following him since then. I was so alarmed that I put a post on Facebook, on my chaplain uh, Facebook page, about this. I could not believe it was happening in America. When it happened in Florida... Within a day or two, it was over. Um, by the way, because those two men stood up, those churches stood up, 
and said, we're going to follow God rather than man. Florida has changed their policy. The governor, Governor DeSantos, rewrote the law and now churches are essential. What a shocker. They were all along. They just got with the program. Churches are essential now in Florida and any government guideline put out is just that. It is a guideline. It's a suggestion. Not enforceable by law enforcement. Thanks to a pastor and a congregation who had the moral fortitude to step up and say, what you're doing is wrong. The Constitution is what we live by in this country, and you cannot, as a government, just like England was, that's why American was found, America was founded, one of the major reasons was religious freedom. Freedom and uh, religious freedom and taxation. Man, I could go, I could go on and on, but I'm, I'm going to digress real quick. If you don't know the story of John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, go really do a deep dive into that story. He was a preacher. He was a Baptist preacher in England. And he spent 14 years in prison. This is prior to America. It was just being founded. 14 years in prison because he would not accept a license from England to preach. Because, of course, they can control what you preach if they give you a license. He had the same opinion that the government cannot license God. And he spent 14 years in prison. In that prison, he wrote a book you may know about called Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is only second in sales to the Bible. The Bible is the number one seller of all time. The number two seller of all time is Pilgrim's Progress. 14 years for not having a license. His family went through major amounts of hardship. He had government officials come and beg him because they knew he was a good guy. Beg him to take a license. He had friends disown him because he would not take a license, said he was worse than an infidel because he would not take a license and he was not providing for his family. That's why America was founded. So we would have those freedoms where the government could not control the church of God. And we were given those freedoms on the bloody backs of our forefathers, our founding fathers, who died for those freedoms. And I believe that us acting as though those freedoms 
aren't worth even speaking out against because we're a little uncomfortable is shameful. Absolutely shameful. By the way, Mississippi. Oh, outcome in Florida, by the way. Florida changed the law. They dropped all charges against the pastor and the congregation. Now all churches in Florida have the liberty to meet. The sad part is most of them still aren't. As if Hebrews 10.25 wasn't even in the Bible. Just to fit in. To not offend anyone. I'm sorry if this is hitting home for some folks, but it hit home for me. This is my journey. I'm just sharing it. Folks, if you like China and you want to be the underground persecuted church, just don't say anything. Keep quiet. Keep silent. Fit in. And you'll fit in. Pretty soon you're going to look around and there won't be anything but government-approved churches with government-approved messages. And the truth will not be in them. So that's where we're at, America. That was my bubble that woke me up. And I hate to tell you that. I have friends and family that have been awake a long time. I have not been. But I am now. I'm shaken and stirred. And I'm using my voice to hopefully shake and stir some other Christians. You have to be careful nowadays what Christian is, but what I mean by that is you're a follower of Jesus. You believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the promised Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, shed his perfect blood for you, the only blood that could have been shed to take away the sin of the world. When he died, he laid in the tomb for three days and three nights. At the end of that three days and three nights, he rose again from the tomb. And that's where Christianity changes from all other religions. Jesus is not in the tomb. He's on the right hand of his father. That's what I mean by a follower of Jesus. You believe that and then... Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Your cross, that means what you died on. And you die daily, Paul says. I die daily. So the old man, 
is dead. The new man died and is buried in baptism in water, just like in the mother's womb, in water. And when you come out of the water, that is the beautiful picture of being born again. The water does not mean anything about you being born again. It shows you that you are. It's a picture of being born again. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that takes away your sins. The water did not do it. Just letting you know. But when you come out of that water, that shows the death of the old man, the burial, just like Jesus in the tomb. And when you come out of that water, and that water breaks, there's a brand new man or woman. And it's beautiful. It'll change your life. The Holy Spirit of God was sent by Jesus He said, hey, it's going to be better if I go because I'm going to send the Spirit. Jesus, if you read the Bible, it says he, he baptizes with the Spirit. He didn't baptize with water. So, the Spirit of Almighty God lives within each believer. When I say Christian, that's what I mean. A <laughs> little bit more specific. When I say Christian, I mean that You have a daily, intimate, personal relationship with the Almighty God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit living in you. Let me ask you a question. Have you counted the cost? Jesus said, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. He said, you will have persecution if you follow me. If you go back and look, the whole fitting in thing didn't work so well for Jesus or his apostles. Look at the way the apostles died. It wasn't pretty. It was bloody. Are you willing to do that? To be called a follower of Jesus? I hope so. If you're on the fence, I hope it makes you think. I hope I just hit you with a bubble, a Holy Spirit bubble that jogs your thinking a little bit, that forces you to go back to the Bible, to pick it up, maybe dust it off a little bit, read it, hear the Holy Spirit talking to you through that word, that alive word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, the Bible is alive. <laughs> it is. Is Jesus in a book? Jesus said, well, John, in John, it wasn't Jesus talking, but that the word was became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the Word is God's. And then the Word became flesh in verse 14, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. 
you turn you take Jesus and turn him into a book and you got the Bible, you take the Bible and turn him into a person and you have Jesus. And if you'll read and you'll do a little bit of studying, might have to go back to the old King James to get the ex- exact words, but there are many areas where the Bible says it's alive. It'll quicken you. It'll make you alive. It says the word sees. The word searches your heart. The word breathes. The word is alive, folks. It's a living book. It reads you as you read it. I challenge you to read it. Until then, I hope some of these words make you think. Hope the little bubbles make you think. I'll end up with a song again from Lester Roloff. This is how he ended his radio program. The Stranger at Blue Galilee. God bless y'all. The strangers to God, His grace and His love, were gathered by Blue Galilee to listen with joy to words from the lips of the stranger who sat by the sea. They came and they were blessed. He gave the weary rest. He made the blinded eyes to see. He fed the hungry soul and he made the wounded whole by the waters of Blue Galilee. They sat at his feet and they looked in his face, content in his presence to be, for no one before had cared for their souls, like the stranger who sat by the sea. They came and they were blessed. He gave the weary rest. He made the blinded eyes to see. He fed the hungry soul and he made the wounded whole by the waters of Blue Galilee. A word about the chap. Brian Graves, and the Chap Chat podcast. I'm the chaplain for Fearless Rock, Adam Brown Underwater Memorial. You can find out more about Fearless Rock and Adam Brown on the Facebook page and YouTube, or by reading the book Fearless, The Undaunted Courage and Ultimate Sacrifice of a Navy SEAL Team 6 Operator, Adam Brown by Eric Blim. You can find Fearless wherever books are sold, on Amazon, and the audio version is available on Amazon Audible. Fearless is the true story of Adam Brown. Real life. The good, the bad, the ugly. His fearlessness, his failures, victories, and the legacy of Adam Brown. I'm the chaplain at vetchurch.org. Website is vetchurch.org and Facebook, vetchurch.org. Vetchurch is specifically geared for active duty military and veterans. 
to address the question of faith from a military perspective and provides avenues of growth and faith, like the Armory podcast, available on Spotify. There's also a VET SOS hotline on vetchurch.org to connect with the average 22 veterans a day considering taking their own life. If life is dark or you have questions about faith, please call 501-271-8330. That's 501-271-8330. A veteran who has been there is waiting for your call. That's 501-271-8330. I host Mobile Church on Facebook.com, different location every Sunday. You can find Mobile Church on Facebook at Your Mobile Church. That's at Your Mobile Church on Facebook. The mission of Mobile Church is to strengthen followers of Jesus and help us think differently about the future of the church in America. You can follow Chaplain Brian Graves at Chap Brian Graves at Chap Brian Graves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would consider supporting Chap Chat Podcast, go to anchor.fm backslash chap underscore chat. That's anchor.fm backslash chap underscore chat and click support. Lord, you give me so much. My health, my home, the wood stove, that old truck that I drive. All these things. So much more. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In me, there's this feeling. I'm feeling praise. Today.